Hi, this is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is Overdue. We're friends and colleagues, librarians, librarians. And each episode, we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice we're giving. Good morning, April. Good morning, Christy. How are you? I'm doing great. You know why? Why? Because we have a guest. We do have a guest today. Our special guest is Reba Tierney. Hello. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. We're really excited to have you here today. So our format will be a little different. We're going to talk about, uh, we're each going to talk about book that we're loving lately. And then um, Reba is our guest today because she had a question. And sure, we could have just posed the question and talked about it. But instead, we convinced her to come be on the podcast. It's even more exciting that way. Yeah, it is. And then we're going to just chat with Reba about the work that she does and any exciting things going on or not. They could be boring things. Uh, just whatever, <laughs> whatever comes up. One boring thing, one exciting thing. Oh, there you go. New format. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Um, well, since you're our guest, Reba, do you want to start us off with uh, a book? Sure. Um, when you told me this, you know, little part, I immediately, like probably most of your listeners panicked because I was like, oh, where do I go? Which book? What? Like, oh my word. Um, I, I don't know. I usually read a few books at a time. Um, and the one that I decided to share today is How the Word Was Passed by Clint Smith. Oh, I've never heard of this. Okay. All right. So it's kind of been on my, you know, you have that book that's on your radar in your periphery for like years and you keep meaning to pick it up. And um, then you're in a book club and they finally make you pick it up. So so I am in a, um, so Edco, it was an educational collaborative in the Metro West area. And they actually folded a few years ago, but there was a book club like an ideas book club um, and they have continued. So I actually a few years ago joined that. And this is the book for this month, which is one of the reasons I am reading it right now. Um, It is a a reckoning. Wow. That's a tough word to say. (laughs) And wrecking is a totally different thing. Yes. Um, with the history of slavery across America and what um, the author Clint Smith does is he chose eight locations, um, seven in the U.S. and one international, and he visits these locations and both um, talks about what it's like for him to have the experience there, how that location relates to the history of slavery in America, and then he usually is in dialogue with some of the people that are also there. So like the first place he visited was um, Monticello, the Jefferson's plantation. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just, it's very readable. I was like a little, um, it's like I said, it's been on my radar for a few years, but you know, it's nonfiction. It's, um, you know, it's not tiny. So I kind of put it off, put it off. Um, but it's super readable. Like I was actually surprised at how readable it was. Um, he presents the information so far. I'm not done yet. But, um, you know, he presents it accurately, but also like with some emotion. So it's not dry. It's not like, um, you know, you don't feel like you're listening to a history lecture. Um, and he weaves in stories and anecdotes. So it's um, so far, I really like it. And I think it's very important to study the topics like this. 
in it, um, you know, and I know that this is technically an adult book, um, but I do, it is actually from my library. I'm a high school librarian. Uh, and, you know, I think that it's um, like history. A lot of kids, especially teenagers, I think start getting interested in history. And it's just nice to have different options to give to them. So that's what I'm reading. Awesome. It sounds really good. Of course, going to add it to my never ending list. <laughs> yeah. um, but it also sounds like you could read it in bits and pieces, like you could pick a, a location and, and dive in that way. Is that does that seem right? Yeah, I think, like I said, I'm kind of towards, you know, like I haven't gotten too far into it. But yes, it seems like you could, you know, if you have a special interest in like, um, there's Angola prison and Gavis. Galveston Island, New York City, you know, so if you really wanted to just read that one kind of chapter, I think that is definitely like a, a way to, you know, in smaller bites to process the book for sure. And I was thinking, especially for like younger readers, mm-hmm. but I do think, like you said, it's so important to have nonfiction like this or history that is readable, <laughs> you know, and because we're all curious, we're all interested, but sometimes the, the way the book is written or presented, it's sort of so dry that you just can't get into it. So it's nice to hear about something that is uh, readable and interesting. Yeah. And I'm curious, from, from the book club perspective, do you have a different book every month? How are the, they chosen? And are they always kind of deep topics? <laughs> this particular book club, yes, um, it is, it's an acronym. And of course, do I have it off the top of my head? It's called Ideas. And every book, the idea is that you, it's all educators, which is really cool. Um, not just librarians, even though I love librarians. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> but it's kind of neat because it gives me a chance to interact with other people who I normally wouldn't you know, because they're from other school districts and other positions. Um, but yeah, the whole theme of it is like anti-racist and oh, um, awesome. social justice. Oh, and it's really cool because we kind of dip into like, sometimes we'll do a fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we'll do a young adult. Um, it's very, very crowdsourced. Uh, the the person who runs it, um, Ellie Stern, she's fabulous. And she really like, she takes everyone's suggestions. And then we have like a big vote. Um, and it runs through the school year. So September to, um, yeah, June. And then we break for the summer. And um, actually, shout out for those listening to Judy Paradis. Uh, so I know, like many things in the library world, the reason I found this group and started participating in it was on her recommendation. Can you share who, since we do have listeners outside of Massachusetts and outside of the U.S., uh, who is Judy? Yeah, um, Judy Paradis was a library extraordinaire, librarian. Um, she was a school librarian and primarily in Waltham when I, I knew her. Um, you know, she had other, she had a very long, amazing career. But um, she was just very, a powerful advocate, really impactful. Um, she had such a heart and a love for, for reading and for the students and for social justice. Um, and she sadly, a few years ago, passed away from cancer um, and left a big gap in uh, my life personally, I think, and a lot of mm-hmm. the people who knew her. Uh, but she's left an amazing legacy. And I just uh, actually, I know we're going to get to this later. 
<laughs> um, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> One of the reasons I am at Waltham at all is because of her. So oh, well, I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, she she was amazing. And I absolutely what you said. She left a legacy and there's just no one quite like her. And I'm also not surprised that she was integral to this book club uh, from the way you described it. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds great, actually. It makes me want to join a book club, even though I'm notoriously bad oh, at book terrible, clubs. <laughs> terrible at book clubs. That said, by doing the podcast with Christy, it does get me into sort of a book club mode when I'm reading something, even though it's not necessarily something we're reading um, the same book of. But it makes me think about what I'm reading a little differently, a little more, not critically, but, um, you know, how do I want to discuss this when we record? Or do I even want to? I was going to say, I would like to say that that's true, but I, uh, I, I'm i just flying by the seat of my pants most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go next then? So um, this year uh, for my birthday, my birthday is in December and it's fairly close to Christmas. And I usually make wah, a wish wah. list. I know. It's fine. Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I'm used to it. But usually I'm, I'm asked to make a wish list and it's always hard. But this year I didn't make a wish list. I asked for one thing. And the only thing I wanted was Nine Liars by Maureen Johnson. <laughs> uh, it came out on December 27th. So I knew that it wasn't going to be under the tree for me to unwrap. Um, nobody told me that they got it. And so at the end of like opening all the presents, I was like, um, am I getting my book? <laughs> so my husband said yes it was on its way uh it did not show up until the 29th which was like it was awful it was so hard to wait so um and then it showed up and I devoured it I spent my New Year's Eve in bed reading this book and then I finished it on New Year's Day this particular title Nine Liars is the fifth in this world um Maureen Johnson first had a series called Truly Devious um, and it follows a student um, named Stevie Bell, who is accepted into this really prestigious um, boarding school in Vermont called Ellingham Academy. And the reason she's um, accepted is because she's actually obsessed with a cold case that happened at the location of the academy um, in the 1930s. And um, so she is accepted into the school on the premise that she's going to be at the school and work on the cold case, um, researching it and hopefully solving it. And so the first three books um, in the series are that story, her at school, um, getting used to being in a boarding school environment, um, finding clues, and then you know, starts getting mysterious messages, um, signed somebody called Truly Devious, um, and then she solves the case, which, spoiler alert, but, um, <laughs> um, and then a fourth book came out um, that takes place in an entirely different location um, the summer after that school year, um, and then this one, Nine Liars, is also another standalone title um, that takes place the next school year um, in which Stevie is invited to go to London. Um, and she she kind of crafts a, a way for all of her friends to go with her because she has um, these three fantastic friends at her school 
um, and her boyfriend is in London. And so um, she creates this whole way for them to all go to London. And then they kind of stumble into a cold case from the 1990s that took place in um, a country estate. And so this is very much um, a British um, country estate murder mystery. Um, and um, I know some people attended this uh, event um, a couple days ago. Maureen Johnson um, had an online, uh, yay, yes, Reba just raised her hand, um, did an online event um, that was sponsored by the Tewksbury Public Library here in Massachusetts and apparently 70 libraries around Massachusetts. Um, there were hundreds of people in this event. It was um, uh um, Jennifer Lynn Barnes, who's an, a YA author, interviewing Maureen Johnson um, specifically about Nine Liars. And I just loved listening to her talk about this world um, and, and Stevie as a character who she kind of envisions to be similar to, you know, Sherlock and other like um, uh, uh, literary detectives who have all these standalone stories that you can kind of dip in and read one of their books, get a little bit of a glimpse into their lives, but still be in this really um, fantastic murder mystery. Um, also, as anybody who's listened to this um, knows about me, um, I'm a sucker for maps. And so, of course, the, the first couple of pages, um, there's a map of the grounds of Merriweather, which is the estate. And then there's a, a floor plans of the house. So I was like totally in my clue mindset, thinking about like playing Clue and, and, and watching the movie and stuff. And, and, um, and then it's with these characters that I've grown to love. I just really think that Maureen Johnson has created this fantastic group of students who are flawed but um but interesting and and loving and caring and very real um and so i was just so excited about this book and i am so i read it so fast i actually i'm almost thinking i might want to read it again which i don't ever do and and i also like i know i've talked about before is that i never i'm not into series like i i get overwhelmed by the idea of a series I read a book and then I find out it's part of a series and I'm like, oh no, now I have to like invest. But this sounds like it's not so much like consecutive series. Yeah. The first three books are very much a trilogy that is the same story. Um, but the the next ones are kind of like side stories. And and so it doesn't, it feels just more that I can, like I'm visiting characters I love and also getting this really cool, like true crime, like filling that need, that true crime need that I have. So very, very fun. Yeah, Reba's a fan. She was yeah, dancing. I know, like her smiles, like ear to ear. <laughs> oh my god, it was—it's a real thing. I'm with you, Christy. Um, I love all both Jennifer Lawrence. I actually have the final gambit ready to roll. It's Yay. the last book in her and Hardin's Kings trilogy. Um, and then, yeah, like you were saying, and, and when she was speaking, Maureen Johnson, when she was rattling off like all the books that inspired her, I'm like, yes, yes. And she's like the Western game. I'm like, oh my God. I I like read and reread and reread that. And just listening to her speak, I was like, mm -hmm, yes, yes. <laughs> I loved hearing her say that she, you know, read Sherlock Holmes really young because I did too. My dad had this anthology of all the stories and it was just around. And I was one of those kids who would pick up anything um, and just and read it. And so I remember um, reading Hound of the Baskervilles and not understanding much at all, but being fascinated by this person who could solve through observation. It, yeah, I, I just love, I love detective stories. You might be the same person. 
I also picked up Hound of the Baskervilles at an early age. And I, like you, I kind of was the atmosphere of it that, you know, pulled me right in. But I was a little bit, I think it was a little over my head yeah. as a younger reader. But I still was like, I love this. <laughs> Even if I didn't quite grasp everything. Exactly. Yeah. And there were a lot of like vocabulary things that I just didn't. I'm like, what's a pip? You know, <laughs> 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 just like and Britishism and... <laughs> Yeah, and my friends and I, um, we were obsessed with, so I was, I grew up in the 80s, so we were obsessed with Clue. Mm -hmm. I watched it over a hundred times. And for my 40th birthday, we rented a movie theater and everyone dressed up as characters from Clue. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So then have you read Diana um, Peter Friend's series, The Clue Mysteries? Yes. Yep. I love those too. The, the and all the nods to the movies are just amazing. I could go on forever. Yeah, I know. It was like April. Do you want to talk about your book? Sorry, April. Did you want to participate no. in this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do, but I'm also like, I can't believe I haven't read Maureen Johnson. <gasps> Whenever you talk about it, I'm like, yes, I know, I would love this. You would, and not just this series. I mean, everything she's written is fantastic. I was gonna say, I love her Shades of London. Yes. Um, trilogy. Yes. And um, even 13 Little Envelopes, The Golden Firebirds, Scarlet Sweet. I, I like all her books. I'm um, blinking on the one. What was the one with the um, the demon and the cupcakes? <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'll, I'll think of it um, right now. I'm not finding it, but um, she just is so funny. Everything she, she's written is fantastic. Um, and I actually, just looking at her website right now, um, the Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered. In a quaint English village. Yes. <laughs> uh, my friend sent that to me like when it came out and I sat and just giggled through the whole thing. I think I would like that. You really would. Gotta get on it. Gotta get on it. So what have you read, April? Um, I read Swim Team by Johnny Christmas. This is a graphic novel it's for Ooh. middle grade. Oh, I know which one you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. I, well, I picked it because I'm trying to, it's that time of year where I'm trying to catch up on uh, notable youth books in anticipation of the Youth Media Awards that are going to be in January. And I've felt very lax in my reading um it's sort of that category I guess but this came up on quite a few lists like best of lists and uh, I like I like a good middle grade graphic novel and this one's been described in the same vein as like uh, The New Kid by Jerry Craft and uh, Smile Johnny Christmas um, he's done a lot of adult graphic novels but this is his first one for younger readers and I don't have the book with me. I borrowed it from the library and already returned it. And I'm not sure how the artwork is done, but it's very, um, it's colorful, but it's really simple. Um, And which I like, it's very uh, readable in terms Mm of like the visuals and very expressive too. And the story here is that Brie and her dad, um, they moved from Brooklyn to Florida which is kind of a big deal yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, but then that she's also starting middle school. So, you know, this is kind of a huge transition, but she seems to be like taking it in stride. She's like a really good kid. She's very academically focused and she ends up in like a swimming club, swimming extracurricular 
because all the ones she wanted to do, like math team, were full up. <laughs> so she would definitely prefer academics. Um, but also she cannot swim. So she ends up in this situation and she starts like, uh, you know, pretending that she's sick or just plain skipping um, skipping out and that's getting her into trouble. Um, but then between her friends and like a older neighbor, she not only learns how to swim, but she is really good at it and um, gets on the swim team and helps her team uh, do well. I don't want to give too much away, but do well <laughs> in competitions. And it does have like the usual sort of friend and like frenemy drama um and also like there's some conflict with her dad because he the reason why they moved to florida was he could get training for a new job um but he also has a job so like he's really busy um and he's not showing up at her swim meets uh but in general the relationships she has like with her friends and her dad are really positive and healthy Yay! What a concept! <laughs> like really refreshing, like that she makes friends right away in a new place. Um, that are good friends is it's just really nice <laughs> and refreshing. Um, I haven't mentioned that Brie and many, actually, most of the characters are black, and it the story also goes into the history of black people being prohibited from swimming and from having access to swimming pools in America. Um, and this comes up in a few ways, you know, Brie sort of learns about it, but also it turns out her dad, the reason why he's not coming to her swim meets is because he cannot swim and he's afraid of water and really this, this inability to swim and the fear of swimming has been passed down. Uh, it wasn't, you know, historically it was not always true. Um, but because of racism and segregation, lots of black people did not learn how to swim, did not have access. And then they didn't teach their children or, or, you know, encourage them to learn in other ways. And actually Johnny Christmas, that was his inspiration for the book because as a kid, he could not swim and was afraid of swimming, but then he ended up taking lessons as an adult. So I really like the way it weaves that in. Yeah. Um, and it's just, again, like, we were talking about earlier, like an important part of history, but it's in this really approachable way. And, um, and actually I have experience with that as my, my stepmom is black and she never learned to swim and she's very afraid of the water. Uh, but she did make sure that me and all my sisters could swim and had access, you know, to swimming pools and ponds and our high school had a pool. And so you could take lessons there but yeah, her mom was afraid of water and, you know, you just, you see how it's passed down, but without the context, there's a lot of shame to it. And that comes up in the book as well. Like that I don't know how to do something that other people can do. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not fair. It's, there should be no shame or embarrassment to it when you, when it's rooted in our history and actual like policies and and, and events um, that have taken place. So, but, you know, on the lighter side, it is like very uh, fun book. It's like I said, got these great relationships. So it's like, it's not just a story about 
sport, swimming, um, but there's a lot to me what really appealed um made it appealing was like the friendships and the relationship with her dad and this older neighbor who um has her own history with swimming and that comes up too and how she teaches her and it's really really cool so it's a fantastic book yeah i can see why it's been on a lot of like the best of lists and starred reviews and all of that adding it to mine right now (laughs) I love when we have a wide variety of, of titles too. And we do. This is like really interesting, like an adult nonfiction, a YA mystery. Yeah. And then <laughs> yeah. Children's graphic novel. It's great. And we, we did not plan this. No, nope. no, it never, it no, always we happens. <laughs> we do pick something that's very similar or like this. We like have this nice wide variety. Mm-hmm. But I think the thread is always, you know, it might not be thematic, but I think, I mean, why else would you do it? But all the books we always pick have some appeal, <laughs> right? So there's something for, for everyone, I think. Let's be a tagline. There's something for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Every book, their reader. Oh, um, <laughs> quick, make a t-shirt. <laughs> I was going to say that we did have a couple books that deal with history, and that sort of relates to our question. Oh, what a segue. Are you doing a segue? I'm trying. I'm trying to do one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm any good at it. So Reba and I, we actually got together in person recently, and she brought up this question. And it's such a good one that we haven't talked about before on the podcast. So I would love for you to go ahead and pose the question. All right. Um, so what? Like many library folk, I go down a rabbit hole that probably no one cares about but me. Uh, <laughs> and my project this year and next year, each year, in the, um, so I'm a high school librarian, and um, we have to pick a goal each year. It's tied to our um, evaluation, in, you know, and, and uh, mine is a two-year goal, and it is to weed through my entire library as a big project which yeah (laughs) thank you because when I say that some people I get like kind of blank stares they're like two (laughs) years well and both Christy and I have been to your library and it's huge well it's about probably like 14 to 15,000 print books um what's great about it is I literally get to physically put my hands on every book and um you know assess not only the physical condition but also like is this circulating you know is it not and at my library at waltham high school i inherited a collection that had been genreified so the fiction collection is separated into genres um now some things i love about this like if a kid walks in and they say oh miss tierney i want like a sports book a romance book you know i can say all right here you go <laughs> like here's your section go go crazy um but sometimes it's harder like when there's a book that can be multiple genres like like where do you put it um you know like maggie stiffader she came out with a book called um oh gosh of course i'm gonna forget the name i'm so sorry maggie um like something about crooked saints all the crooked saints anyway it's like this genre defying like historical magical realism novel (laughs) i'm like thanks a lot yeah so i was like uh 
historical fiction, romance. So I ended up putting it in sci-fi fantasy because that's where her other books are. And I thought, all right, well, magical realism. Ooh. <laughs> but okay, so basically, genre is my frenemy, <laughs> right? Like, I, I struggle with genre. And again, like, who really cares about this but me? Probably, like, me and one student, right? So, but I obsess over, like, where to put these books. Where is the best place for them? You know, where are they going to get traction? And um, I got to the historical fiction section of the library and I started going through the collection, you know, pull the shelf list, start weeding. And I get to books like, um, you know, that, that are considered classics. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But were written. So like, for example, a lot of F Scott Fitzgerald's books, Great Gatsby, which is actually in romance. Let's, we'll, we'll get there later. Uh, that does not need to, to come up right now. Oh yeah. So, but like his other books, you know, Tender is the Night, um, you know, there's a collection of short stories. Oh, that could be another discussion. Um, so they were in historical fiction, but hypothetically, traditionally, the description of historical fiction is the book is set in an era that is different than when it was written. So for example, if I were to write a book right now, about the 80s. I know this hurts. Um, it would be considered... <laughs> yeah. Even the 90s. <laughs> yeah, even right? even like, early oh. 2000. I know. Technically Yikes. be considered historical fiction. But here the argument is that F. Scott Fitzgerald, he wrote these books in the 20s while the 20s were happening. So are they historical fiction? Now 100 years have passed. This, the roaring 20s, the 20s is a historical era that we can read about and learn about. So what do you do? <laughs> right? So I I like in this goes it goes to all of them like um Edith Wharton, you know, like her books that she wrote are the um Gilded Age in in and they took she wrote them early 1900s. Kind of as the Gilded Age was like just wrapping up or was still happening. So, you know, yeah, that's evokes such a different time and place. Mm-hmm. So do you put it in historical fiction? All right. So I've posed this question to so many people, random strangers. In the <laughs> Just walking down the street. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, hey, you <laughs> um, students, my amazing colleagues who I immediately was like, we need to, you know, I luckily I have middle and elementary school librarians in my district and I can lean on them, which is huge because I know a lot of school librarians are kind of like an island. Um, so for me, that was huge. I immediately, and, but their responses, they were so funny. One of them, she's like, yeah, like the outsiders, historical fiction. I was like, this conversation is over. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I can't talk to you right now. Um, And I talked to a group of librarians on Friday about, you know, I wanted to get their take. And they were funny. They like totally evaded it and was like, I create a classic section. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, okay, right. But like, Right now, I'm not going to start a whole new, maybe one day, um, whole new genre collection. But um, yeah, so April and I were like digging into what counts, like what counts as, and of course, like I, you know, went on the internet down the rabbit hole, what does Library of Congress say, what is, and it, it kind of basically is each library makes their own decision. Yeah. 
So I actually, I ask my students this question when I teach uh, children's literature at Salem State University for pre-service school librarians. And our weeks are set up by format. And so I don't do, like, I don't have a historical fiction week. We have our narrative prose novel week. And in that week, one of the discussion questions is kind of what does, what makes historical fiction basically what's the line between contemporary realistic fiction and historical fiction you know what makes that difference like if you're writing a book now that's set in 2023 that's obviously contemporary and if you set it in 2001 it's historical even though you know we were still alive in that time but um but there's a there's a line right there has to be like somewhere where you divide contemporary fiction from historical fiction. And what I tend to go with is whether or not the time period is integral to the understanding of the story. So the one series that I think about a lot is um, the Ramona series. So if you read Ramona Quimby books, you know, um, Beverly Cleary's Ramona series now, um, many of the, the titles you know, they were written in some of them, the early ones were written in the fifties and sixties. And, but the, the story and the understanding of the story isn't integral to the time period, the time period, like it it could be any time period, right? We talk a lot about how they hold up to the test of time and that you can read, you know, uh, Ramona Quimby age eight to your current eight-year-old and they'll get it. Um, I know that there, there are moments where something pops up like, um, Ramona and her father, um, her dad is out of work and waiting for phone calls from um, job um, things. And he, he can't leave the house because they might call. So there are little, you know, anachronistic things for today's children. But it's, you don't have to know what decade it was written in order to understand the story. Whereas a book mm. that's written about like 9-11, it is that that specific time period is part of the understanding of that story. So that is historical fiction. And I, I would argue like F. Scott Fitzgerald, that's not historical fiction. You know, especially like if you're thinking about the um, the, the thread of the story um, and, you know, especially like that, the relationships between people, those types of conflict exist now. You could take the time period out of the story and still have an understanding of it. Well, and that's why books like that and other so-called classics we continue to have like rewrites and movie versions and things like that because the the actual story part uh kind of keeps moving through time right i i really like the way you interpret that for the Mm -hmm. class because it also brings up is something outdated yeah. that doesn't make it historical exactly. fiction. Exactly. Yes. yes. <laughs> Necessarily. So something could be um you know sort of like that idea of like oh yeah why do you have to sit in the house and wait for a phone call or you know I remember too from the Ramona books um sort of more the uh the the gender roles yeah. right and and they're not horrible but they are a little outdated yeah. so if you were writing a book today about a family that's very similar. You could switch it up a little and make, you know, mm-hmm. make it more contemporary. But like you said, it's not that it's the time where the books take place is not um, this really important part of the story that, you know, sort of like sometimes in setting is like a character. Yeah. Whereas like Eric could be considered part of like the character in the book. 
Yeah, there's a, a young adult uh, novel out a couple years ago called The Black Kids. It's set in, I think, 1992. No, yeah, 1991 in Southern California during the LA. The riots. Rodney. Yes. Yeah, the Rodney King. And it's, right? it's one of those that, like, it is very much that time and that setting is a driver of the story. And it that story cannot exist without those pieces. But, you know, there are other contemporary actually even we can talk about nine liars like there are parts of it the cur- the current contemporary part of the stevie bell story can exist at any time she there are flashbacks to the 1995 you know murder but the what's happening right now in in the story could be could have been in 2010 it could be in 2030 there aren't parts of it that make it specific to a time and place maybe i should have taken your class yeah <laughs> Well, I do think it's interesting that you, you know, you did yeah. research, you asked around and you get different answers from different people, even in the library world is fascinating mm-hmm. to me because like, if, yeah, if I was going to go the purest route, like if I'm being a purist, I would be like, no, it has to have been written, you know, at a different time. So ha- you're writing it now, but it's about the past, you know, you, but to a student's eyes, yeah. If you're talking about historical, anything that was probably more than a week ago, (laughs) no kidding, but you know, anything older than their life, right? Their lifespan is historical fiction. So something set in the 1920s, even if it was written in the 1920s, is absolutely historical to them, um, you know, and so on. I, I think I would do something like classics but I don't even really like that word because to me and this would be a whole other topic but classic gives it a little um I want to say like notoriety like like oh it's a classic so it's automatically good and you're gonna want to read it and da, da, da. And that I don't yeah, know no you just have a section be like these are super old books super old yeah <laughs> old ass books were written and or take place a long time ago last that's century that's your new genre there you go. You, we need a we need a new sticker Demco, can you get on that i would like a last century sticker <laughs> so yeah i do love you're right april i like how you couched that christy that it's almost like that time period if it's not a central character quote i'm yeah. putting air quotes yeah. up <laughs> you know like um I do like that, but I was thinking, so two things while you guys were talking is um, they are still making, I don't know if you've heard, but a book just came out called Self-Made Boys, and it's a retelling of The Gatsby, but with transgender characters. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Yes. And there's, there's a company, and I, so uh, this, this is, I guess this is the trouble you get when you start talking off the cuff. Um, there's, they're doing like, um, they call them remixes, and they're retelling classic stories. Um, like they just did Little Woman with four um, black characters, and um, it's yeah. So they have, and they just self-made boys is the Gatsby remix, and wow. uh, so that cracks me up. And then, do you guys remember a few years ago when they were talking about uh, reissuing "Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret"? <laughs> I feel like they're always talking about that. Yeah, like we've all read, <laughs> all right? And they were discussing, like, do you go back in and change, like, that whole scene where she gets her period and has to buy, like, the belt. Oh, right. And uh, yeah. Right. Like, do you kind of go back in and change that 
Yeah, now she can have a diva cup. She could have period underwear. Yeah, the <laughs> like, story itself and like the questions she has are are timeless, but that is outdated. I mean, none of us had to do that. No, and that's the thing. When I did when I did read that book, I was like, what do I have to do? <laughs> What's happening? Also, why were all the friends were like so excited to get it? I was like, I did not actually relate to that book at all. Excited to get it? Are you kidding? Me and my friends were like, please let this never happen to us. We were not, we were not. No, thank you. (laughs) Oh man, this is a whole other episode. (laughs) Book me for the period episode, please. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, and we can read all the period books. There's actually been a lot written there have yeah i was gonna say i hope there are more <laughs> the one with the belt <laughs> oh awesome. uh, well, thank you so much for your question i mean i feel like i could keep talking about oh this. absolutely yeah and i think the crux of it is it is a little open-ended and it's a choice each librarian kind of has to make in their library what's good for them in their collection um but it spurs some really great discussion yeah you, you know it makes you think about things in a different lens and I'd like to point out that I don't give my give an answer to my students. It's a discussion. They, but I have a strong opinion, I do, but I don't grade them down if they disagree with me. <laughs> on that one. Yes, no. <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Reba, did you, have you made a decision? Yes. So I, on Friday, um, I finished historical fiction. And what I did is, oof, oh, I'm all over the place. I, I, I did mixed. Some I moved. Mm-hmm. Like some books I moved because I felt either they were better serviced in a different, you know, like you were saying, Christy, um, you know, either they were like more realistic fiction or, or romance or even like adventure. Or well, like Sherlock Holmes you'd put in mystery. So like I ended up keeping Edith Wharton's books. I kind of kept them in historical fiction, even though technically they probably go in by the textbook definition. And then War and Peace, our friend. Dostoevsky, I kept him in war and fiction. <laughs> like you stay right there, my friend. Um, so there, I, I kind of made different calls on different books. Uh, so even myself, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't myself choose just one track. And I think that's okay. Yeah, because you you really are choosing where is this book going to be found? Where is this going to find its reader? Yeah, and I don't know about you guys or other librarians, and I'd love to know if they, I don't know if people do feedback on this or Sometimes. how they, but um, I, for me, I, historical fiction isn't a hugely circulating popular genre. Like, um, I, I feel like we kind of have to book talk it a little more or point students towards it. Um, so sometimes it's an easier sell than others. You know, I feel like um, a lot of World War II is, is in a little bit of an easier sell, but like other time periods might be a little bit of a struggle. Um, sometimes it helps if they write a book they like, like they'll come in and say, oh, Miss Tierney, we just read The Great Gatsby and I really liked it. And I'm always like, you did. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, tell me more. Or, you know, they. so I'm like, all right, I kind of then, you know, of course, you have to drill down. Well, what did you like about it? You know, was it more the relationships or was it like the Roaring Twenty excitement of the Roaring Twenties? But um, yeah, it, you're right. It's kind of like where is this every book a reader? <laughs> where is the, where's the reader going to find this book? And then sometimes it does come down to the shelf space. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I hate to be that person, but uh, you know, I, we we're dealing with limited physical space sometimes. So. I think that's okay too. Yeah. 
It's the reality. We're doing reality here on the show. Well, and the thing is, your decision isn't permanent. <laughs> True. Right. And like, it's not that they can't get access to these books yeah. in other places, you know? So like, and then there were some decisions I made that I was like, ooh, oh, see, now I feel like I'm getting into a different episode. Um, yeah. But like, so the boy in the straight pajamas, oh. uh, you know, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to remove this one. I think that's okay. And what the great thing about it was, it was an awful shape. Like it was an awful physical shape. Like I had half a cover, It was, you know, so I could justify like removing it, but, um, you, you know, and then like Catherine Stockett's book, The Help, how when that first came out, it was like, everyone wanted to read it and it was great. And then later on, it kind of came out that, you know. The, the story should have been more authentically told from the woman that lived mm-hmm. there, that experience. Um, so that's been neat too. And I, that's why we weep, right? That's why yeah. we deselect. That's why we go through the collection um, is to, and then, you know, see where the gaps are. Like, what am I missing? What do I need to update? So I guess this has turned into my little, thank you for coming to my TED talk about weeding. <laughs> I think it's great. Oh, I'm the worst. Everyone like makes fun of me. Everyone that knows me, my, my like people who know me, they're like, let me come and do it for you because you're not aggressive enough. <laughs> no. no, I think you're doing great. And it is funny because you would think that question, like face value, that's so easy to answer, right? Here's the definition, but it's not. It leads to discussion. And along that line, like you said, you know, do do listeners ever give feedback they do sometimes we would love more though we really love and on this topic we'd love to hear from you so you can email us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com you can connect with us on instagram at this pod is overdue and we will put up our show notes as always and we'll um put up some pictures like of our books and other things that we've talked about today and, and maybe even one of Reba. Ooh. That would be oh. Nice so people can <laughs> see who we're chatting with. If you found yourself talking out loud and arguing with us while listening to this, please email us and tell us. Yeah. We want to hear. Maybe you'll be on the show someday. Be very wary if you ask Christy or I a question that's related to books. Oh yeah, no, we'll, we'll just pull you in. Reba, tell us a little more about, you know, we've kind of been holding this to the end, but part of having you on the show was to talk about like the work that you do and anything, like we said, interesting or not interesting (laughs) that you've been working on besides your big weeding project. And not interesting is probably the weeding. I mean, let's not lie. It's to a very small subset of us. It warms our hearts, but the rest (laughs) are like, oh, (laughs) um, so yeah, I have been at Waltham High for, oh my goodness, I'm really bad at counting, but believe it or not, <laughs> I think it's been like, I know, I think it's been like six years. Wow. I, I feel like I just started. I you know. Actually, that sounds about right because I visited you very early. You had not been there very long. It might have been my first year, the readathon, yeah. So a quick history of Reba. I went to library school in my early early 2000s, kind of right out out of undergrad, and I had no intention of being a school librarian. Absolutely not. It wasn't even on my radar. Um, I was going to be a science librarian. Thank you very much. Interesting. Um, Yeah, well, I started out undergrad as pre-vet, but I can't do math, which is kind of important. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but I loved, like, I loved the life sciences. Like I had taken like a, you know, 
microclass, genetics, like, you know, bio, uh, some travel courses. So like, I, I love science. Um, so I thought, oh, well, if I can't do science, I can help scientists, right? And of course, I was thinking like Woods Hole, like Scripps Oceanographic Institute, you know, my dream, dream job, maybe when I retire, um, is to be a zoo librarian. Ooh. Can you imagine? I mean, I know. Um, so anyway, I was working part-time at a public library as I was getting my library science degree down at URI. Shout out to URI. Um, and the, my colleagues I was working with started talking to me about getting certified to be a school librarian. And I was like, why? <laughs> <They're> like, oh. <laughs> now this is like early like I was in my early 20s Reba you know I was like living my life and they're like what if one day you have kids I'm like oh, oh. you know and they're like oh it's you know get the certificate they were kind of saying like why not do it while you can get the certification can't hurt you'll always have it so I ended up kind of picking up the school librarian track and I have to say an apology to school librarians everywhere. I don't think I was very good at it. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> because I didn't come at it from a teaching lens, you know, which I didn't kind of realize till I was in the trenches. I was like, oh, maybe a few education courses would have helped me. Right. So I always say, like, I'm not a teacher who became a librarian. I'm a librarian who works in a school. And I think that's kind of an important distinction because I don't think people maybe outside the profession realize how much like now my my title is library teacher and like there's a huge aspect of teaching that goes into the job you know it's not just library which at the time you know early 20s ignorant reba no idea just bombing through <laughs> you know being like woo <laughs> so um I finished my degree and did my practicum and i remember thinking like oh i could never do this in real life <laughs> oh, high school. Oh, God. There. And at the time, I mean, I was in my early 20s. I wasn't like that far removed from high school, right? And like, here I am being like, I'm the boss. Um, and I just remember thinking like, oh, this is dreadful. These kids don't like, you know, so if I was going to be a school librarian, obviously I would have been an elementary school librarian so I could hang out with the kids who thought you were cool. And um, <laughs> yeah. And then I ended up working at a um, college that I had gone to. I had this amazing, amazing um, mentor and supervisor, actually two of them. One was Joan Holt, who ended up becoming the school librarian and kind of mentored me. And then the other one was Susan Watkins, who had been my boss, and she was the director of the library at my college, Eastern Nazarene College. And she hired me halfway through grad school. It was like my first professional job, which was so exciting. You all know that feeling. And she allowed me to, it was a college, so they stayed open late. They were open on weekends. She allowed me to do my hours so that I could fit in a practicum, which, as you all know, is like amazing. Oh, that's great. That's the hard part. So I worked kind of like the late, you know, I did the late shifts and the weekend shifts, um, which, <laughs> again, I, you know, I had the energy. I don't know how now. Um, but I, so I was able to earn my certification and I kind of had it in my pocket with the thought that like, I still was hell bent on being like a science librarian and the school librarian thing was in my pocket, but I really wouldn't use it. And then about a year after I had gotten my degree, Joan reached out to me and she's like, Hey, Quincy High needs a librarian. I'm like, well, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> and she like convinced me, she's like, I have weekends off. Like you're out by two 30 every day. And I'm like, Hmm, tell me more. So she, of course, like, you know, she, she got me to, and I thought, all right, Hey, I'll try it for a year. If I hate it, I'll move on. It's experience. Why not? 19 years later. 
<laughs> you know, and I had a few rough years in the beginning. Like, you know, I cried a few times. I found it took me a while to find my footing. I probably made some awful mistakes. You know, I had to learn a lot of the teaching on the fly, which I don't recommend. Um, <laughs> and then my second job, I actually, so Quincy got rid of, after about six years there, Quincy got rid of all their elementary and middle school librarians. That's awful. I know. And I didn't have the tenure. You know, they had two high schools in the city, but I mean, there was librarians who had been there for 19, 20 years that lost their job. So here I was at six years and I was like, bye. Um, you know, and I actually ended up after that, a colleague of mine had gone to a school in Boston as a guidance counselor and he reached out to me. It was actually Labor Day weekend at the time I was unemployed. Um, I was working at a public library part time as a young adult librarian um, in Braintree and it was a great job. I loved it, but it was part time. Um, and he said, Hey, my school needs a librarian. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I'm thinking about going in a totally different direction. Like schools kind of felt a little burned by them. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, just come in for an interview. So I, I went in and they're like, all right, when can you start? <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, at the time I was like, girl, you're unemployed. Like you can't be cute. You got to take this job. So I, I took the job and I have to say, like, I'm so grateful because I feel like my biggest growth came in that job. I was um, at the Burke High School in Dorchester and it was just an incredible experience. Like the students were phenomenal. I loved it. Um, it. It was just at the time I thought, oh my God, I'm never leaving Boston. It's such a huge system. I'll never get bumped out. I'll never like lose my job, piece of cake. Um, but it was tough because at the time, Boston wasn't very supportive of libraries. Like I, for the six years I was there, I never had a budget. Oh um, I, right. Um, what we, we were linked in with the BPL, which is unbelievably amazing. We were on like the delivery route so I could still get kids books. Um, you know, we got some grant funding over the years. So there was some ability to get books in. But there was a lot of confusion because they went from a funding model of like each school had money to each library you know, I won't lie. I'm still not sure I got it right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they went to where each school would determine how much they gave their libraries. Oh, so it was at the administration level making those decisions. Yes, but when I talked to my principal, she, what, from what she knew and she said, was that my funding came from the district. So in her mind, she was like, I shouldn't have to use my budget for something that's district funded, uh, you know? So it, it was it was a lot of confusion. It wasn't well communicated. It was, you know, but at the same time, my school was in, um, we were a turnaround school. So we had a lot of like trainings, a lot of, I just, I learned so much there. I learned so much about myself as a person, as an educator from like a social justice angle. Um, it was a primarily um, black and Cape Verdean students. Like my principal often said, she's like, we're not a minority school. We're a school that has a minority population. And, and it was just very interesting. It was for the first time ever, I really, really got to see um, life and education through the lens of someone else. And I had never experienced that. You know, like I had no idea the level of my privilege because I, I never had to um, face that. I never had to think about that. So for me, like, it was just incredible six years of growth, of opening my eyes, of becoming a better librarian, a better human being, a better teacher. I, listen, I haven't reached peak yet. I'm still learning. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we all are. But, you know, 
personally, it was a great time for me. Professionally, it was hard because I, 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 a lot of what I was doing wasn't what I thought of as like life library, right? And uh, Judy Paradis, here she comes. She's like a little <laughs> shark in the water. She sensed, I think, that I was having some doubts. And she's like, hey, she called me. I'll never forget when Judy Paradis calls you. First of all, you answered. Second, <laughs> second, you listened. She said, um, hey, so a position has become available at like Waltham High. But, and at the time, I, I lived like down in Hingham. I was working in Boston. She's talking about Waltham. I'm not good at geography, but I was like, oh, it's kind of far. Waltham. Yeah. And like I, I had, it had never even been on my radar. So she, of course, you know, I'm a sucker for a good sell. And, you know, Judy, uh, she convinced me to, like, think about it, apply for it, like, interview. Next thing you know, I'm accepting a position at Walmart. <laughs> but my predecessor had been Kendall Benimpe, who I don't know if you guys, um, she's now the library, um, at Cambridge Ridge Line. But, you know, they say, like, I, I did the three. Oh, my gosh. I stepped into shoes that were, like, I mean, she's phenomenal. And, like, to step into Kendall's shoes, I was, like, what are you doing? Um you know, but I was so lucky because she did build such a strong program. I really, it was kind of like, here, girl, take the reins and don't screw it up, right? <laughs> um, so I was incredibly lucky that I was able to step into such a strong program. But at the same time, it was so nerve wracking because they were huge shoes to fill. But I felt like professionally, I was kind of making this choice for the first time, like for myself. So I I made it and I've I gotta tell you I've I've never been happier. Like I oh, it's professionally I feel like I really found my groove. I mean, oh my god, please, I have still so much to learn. Hello, like we just did a half hour on what is a stroke addiction. I've just said I've been a librarian for like nineteen years. But but that's what you want too professionally. I mean I think like you want you wanna keep learning. Yeah. And you want to be challenged, but in a different way. I really, really feel like I've learned and grown and like I said I inherited a great program um there was already a lot of stuff set up that I just kind of made sure I didn't mess up too bad <laughs> uh, one of the really cool things that um Kendall and a group of uh English teachers had started was their um one school one story their summer reading initiative in the 24-hour readathon which um we haven't had for a few years because of COVID, but I have exciting news. Are you doing it? We are. Yay. It's making a comeback. And um, right now we have it scheduled for which this could, again, I could in two months after I might talk to you and say it was the worst decision ever, but we are um, St. Patrick's Day. Oh. <laughs> Just, I know. Can I use get lucky with books? <laughs> I mean, they're in high school. Like, I think that's... Do people even use that phrase anymore? It could be totally fine because no one knows what it means at that age. Um, tell Yeah, tell us more. I was hoping you would talk a little about the Readathon. So um, the Readathon is a really cool event. It is a 24-hour event in which around 64 students take a... We usually have it in March because we do it bracket style. So we start with 16 books, and the idea is to, over the 24 hours, knock those 16 down to one. And we walk out of there with a summer reading book. So to do that, we split the kids up into um, groups. And, you know, there's like the eight books on each side. And so, so one student will not really read 16 books in 24 hours. They'll read approximately snippets of eight different books. 
Um, and so they have like, you know, each, so each group starts with, there's um, usually around 64 kids. Four, I told you I was bad at math. I'm not even sure this makes sense. Um, four kids per group. <laughs> and we start with like, six. so each kid starts with each group at the beginning is reading a different book. Yeah. They read that book for about three hours. And what we do is we read for 45 minutes and then we take a break. And the break's like, oh my gosh. So we try to um, either we do stuff like a dance party, musical chairs. When it gets late, uh, one of our um, teachers comes in and does dodgeball in the hallways. <laughs> and oh my God, yeah. And if you think musical chairs is a sedate party game, you've never seen 64 high schoolers go hard at musical chairs. One of these years, we're probably going to have an injury. But um, so it just, it gets them up. It gets them moving. Um, you, you know, we have, oh, food upon, oh, the faculty and staff are unbelievable. They donate. We have so much food. Um, one of uh, my colleagues, she does an amazing job reaching out to some of our authors and some authors will Skype in or we'll like do a, um, a little interview, which is amazing. So we kind of you know, and different faculty will sign up to like run a break, you know, they'll come in and do like an ice cream Sunday party. Perfect. It's just, it's such a good fun thing. Yeah. Well, and Christy and I visited one year and it was so fun too, to see how engaged the kids were, but also like they're wearing like their animal pajamas. <laughs> yeah. And they're like their big onesies and, um, yeah, so much food and just really good spirits all around between the adults and the kids. It's really neat and really unique. One of the things I love about it is that it's it's the foundation for creating a culture of reading at your school. Mm -hmm. It's this event that kids want to participate in. It's all about books and reading, and and it it is everybody. It's not just you. You know, you you have the whole yeah. school involved in it. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's really neat is like people will come in like, and they'll join a group of kids reading and now, you know, like you said, science teachers, um, history teachers, CTE teachers, like they'll all, everyone gets involved. It's such a community thing. It's, it's so amazing. Um, you know, and, and the kids, I think sense that they get that, they feel that they understand that. And it's also kind of neat because it's a small, my, we have a very big school, we have about 1700 kids. So it's not like a small subset of kids, they also feel like this responsibility, you know, like, oh, we're choosing the book for the entire school, yeah. you know, so they get like that little, it's a little bit of a kind of cool, like, um, you know, hey, like, you're making this decision for a lot of people. I have to say, they're so great. They take it seriously. They're thoughtful. They engage. Um, the funniest thing is like every now and then there's like they get they start a book and after like three or four hours they're supposed to move on to a different book and they're like trying to sneak that first book with them so they can finish it. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm like, how can I be mad at that? But I'm kind of like, right. I'm like, you gotta go yeah. to your next book now. <laughs> like librarians everywhere. Like, how mad are you that a kid wants to finish a book? I mean, right. <laughs> So, you know, and then, and then what's really fun of the knockout rounds, you know, like we, we have votes and we vote which books are going to move on and which aren't. Um, and like, by the time we get to the final reveal, it's hilarious. Like everyone's gathered around. There's like the boards down to two titles. There's the drum roll and like they <laughs> rip the tape off and everyone's like, ah! <laughs> and at this point we're going on like no sleep, a lot of sugar. And um, it's, it's just so yeah, like all this excitement around books and reading. You're like, oh my gosh. 
Um, so it's it's such a great, great, I, you know, every time it's over, we're like, okay, we're never doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a baby, but I've heard it's, you know, you, you're like, oh, never again. And then like a, a month, a few months later, you're like, but it was so cute. Look what I did. Maybe I should do it again. <laughs> Again, I inherited this. I did not create it. And we kind of like follow the format. Um, Emily Perna and um, Allison McHugh had been the two who started it with Kendall Beninci. And then uh, now Daphne Faye and Emily and I. But I mean, it's a huge, huge. It is nowhere near just the three of us, right? Yeah. Like we have a committee of, we have a committee, which is so cool. It's made up of people from all different departments and students. And we vet, we, we choose those 16 books in advance. So like right now, we're reading those books and we have this giant spreadsheet and everyone's leaving comments. And it's just so cool because like, it's, again, it's not just me saying like, Hey kids, you should read these books. Like it's, 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 you know, and um, a few years ago we had a book called Nixia that was on the maybe list and it never quite made it. And there was this one science teacher and she loved this book so she kind of became like its champion and its advocate and so like the next year she brought it up again and she kind of pushed for it and it ended up being an all-school read and we had the author come for a visit and and she was so cute because she kind of felt like like and rightly so you know she had kind of championed this book and she like really got the science team involved and you know that's something like I never could have done because she had that energy and enthusiasm and that she is a science teacher herself. And she was saying like, Hey, this is like authentically a fun, engaging book with a lot of like science tie-ins. Like we can do stuff with this. It's awesome. And like the th- connections you don't even think of that get made. And it's just, it almost takes on a life of its own. And it's incredible. You know, it's not, not without some controversy and some issues. And before me, um, they had done all American boys and they had gotten some pushback on that um but they um again this was before me but they worked with the local police group and they like actually had the police come in and do like a talk with students you know it isn't easy like it sounds fun of course it is fun and there's a lot but there's also a huge part to it that is fraught with like oh are we making the right decision you know are we making the right choice what kinds of wounds could we possibly be opening and like one year we did speak by laurie hall sanderson Mm -hmm. and uh the day of, we usually have like a one school and story day where we have like events and activities, a visit from the author, you know, and um, we play like music in between passing periods and it's a whole thing. And we were trying to play like um, uplifting, like we did Fight Song by Rachel Platten, you know, we were doing, and I had a girl come into me. She was really upset because she felt like we were taking a very serious topic and issue, you know, like, like, like um, assault and rape and, and making light of it you know, by playing these like bubbly, like pop songs. And I was like, I had never, I obviously that had never been my intent. And I just looked at her and I felt, you know, like rock in the pit of my stomach. And we luckily we had her, she was a mature student and we had a great conversation about it. And I explained to her why we had made that decision. And you know, she understood and we, it it ended up being okay, but it was such a learning moment for me because I, I was like, wow, it's something so in my head, so simple as like, Oh, play a song to pep kids up in between, you know, that we're doing this thing. And, and it's like, Oh, wow. I like talk about privilege. (laughs) Could I have have more? (laughs) Could I show my privilege more? Um, 
you know, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful for students like her who step forward and who say things because, um, you know, she could have, she could have just kept that to herself or like right. said it to her, but I'm so grateful. But she you, felt you're going to be, I know you, I know you're going to be humble about this, but you are the kind of person, educator, uh, librarian that allows a student to do that. And I think that's really powerful. And I know you're going to say, <laughs> I can see it on your face, but yes, awesome of her to come forward. That's, that is like, like you said, mature and strong, but if you were a closed off person, if she didn't feel like she could say that to you, you know, that, that would be so different, but um, that's a gift I think you've given to that school. Thank you. And you're, you're somebody who's willing to constantly learn. And I think that that's one of the hallmarks of being a good librarian is always being open to new ideas and to um, to new topics and being interested in the world and interested in people's experiences. I agree. I, and I say to my students, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm excited to learn from you just as much as I'm hoping to teach you. And time and time again <laughs> so much from these like so much that it's almost embarrassing I'm like oh my god <laughs> back to the readathon and uh, two things one even though the way you talked about it, it is big it's a lot of work it's not just one person but it also to me always seemed like something that could be replicated and just the fact that it existed before you and you stepped into it and you keep tweaking it, you make it, you know, your own or the group's own, you know, different people have come and gone, but it's sustainable. So to kind of put that out there to our listeners, like you Mm -hmm. could do this, you could do a version of this to encourage them, but are you also open to people coming to you to ask about logistics? Logistics. That's a hard one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, Yes. Quick answer. Yes long answer. <laughs> I'm not pretending to be the expert. I've done a few of them and I love them and they're fun. Um, but like you said, it is, I think it is transferable. I know Kendall, they started doing something similar at Cambridge Ridge and Latin. And last year, we didn't do one last year, still, you know, kind of coming out of the weeds of COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they did one last year, but I think they did it till midnight. I don't think it was 24 hours. It was, but they took that idea, right. that format, and the kids still got the day off school. They still got to stay in the library late. Wear their PJs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> They're still in their pajamas. They're still like not having to go to classes that day. So, like, that element of all that fun stuff is still there. Um, and they were able to do that. So, yeah, I absolutely think it can be done in a few different ways, could be replicated. It could be, you know, if you're not quite ready to take on 24 hours, you know, there are absolutely ways. And, and I mean, we have a very supportive administration and custodial staff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I shout out to them. We could not. Yeah. They're probably like rolling their eyes as I'm like, here, we're coming again. <laughs> They're like, oh, boy. <laughs> Like, um, actually, one of our custodians, he got involved with the one school and story the year we did on 9-11. He was a veteran and he joined our team and was involved. And it was like, it was incredible. Yeah. So you just never know where their perspective is going to come from. So, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out or ask questions, absolutely. Um, And if I don't know the answer, I can direct you towards someone who does. Yeah. And we can we can um, help 
facilitate that. So again, our email is thispodisoverdue at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with Reba, come through us first. We're not going to put her email out <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> Um, oh, I co-edit the Mass School Library Association Forum. That's right. So, yes, with Luke Steer, who does a, he does a podcast as well for MSLA. And if anyone out there is hearing this and thinking, I'd love to write an article for the forum, uh, reach out to me because we're always looking for new ideas and some new blood. Um, and I, Mass School Library Association has been a, such an amazing organization to be involved in. I was hoping you would talk about them a little bit because they are amazing. And, and when I worked at MLS, like we worked together on so many things. Yeah, them. yeah, Christy does. And it's how I've met a lot of fabulous school librarians. You I met because you were on our advisory committee. But I think that's also some something I would say special about you that, you know, like you were saying, you didn't really mean to get into the field of school librarianship, but you are an active participant in the field. Like you are involved with MSLA, you got involved with us at Mass Library System. Like you don't just put your nose to the grind and just do the day-to-day work. You you are really involved. And that's why I'm sure Judy thought of you for when that position came up. So it's really cool. It's a good good encouragement to get involved in your associations and organizations. Yeah, I was going to say absolutely. And part of that is FOMO. Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what are they doing over there? Um, but yeah, if you can get involved in your local and national organizations, sometimes like school library, don't go it alone. No. Like it can be a real lonely job. It can be when you're in a school and no one else knows what you do. Um, it can be so discouraging and so frustrating, but like, Time after time, I've had this amazing group of colleagues that have kind of lifted me up. I definitely would not be the librarian I am today without them. Oh, I've also gotten involved in the Mass Teen Choice Book Awards. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we're going to talk about this. Uh, the last few years, I've been on the committee for the Mass Teen Choice Book Awards, which has been amazing. I've met so many new, like, because it's school and public librarians. And um, my collection development basically develops itself because it's, we discuss all these amazing books. Um, so yeah, if, get involved. Get involved. If you're nervous, if you're apprehensive, if you're scared, don't be. We're it's a great community. Start small if you want, then get bigger. Um, but just reach out. People are here for you. So absolutely, there's so much support um, in the Commonwealth for librarians. School librarians are only scary on the full moon. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> well, I do think on that note, we will wrap up this amazing discussion. And I would love to have you back, Reba. I know Christy would too. And we could talk, we could talk Mass Teen Book Awards. I think that would be really cool. So thank you so much for being with us. I was going to say, we could see how this episode goes over. And if it's a disaster, I won't be mad that you don't have me come back. <laughs> But if it's great, <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity and thank you for everything you do because it's it's great. Oh, thanks. You stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> Mutual admiration. Uh, yeah, well, it's a good time to thank our listeners as well. So thanks for listening in today. Hope you enjoyed our episode. Let us know. Yeah, reach out to us. And happy reading. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading.
Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Let us know how you feel about the 80s. Wait, about the 80s in general or 80s books? (laughs) That the 80s were 40 years ago. Stop. All right. This episode is over. (laughs) 